As most of you know, we are in the middle of a, a series of lessons on the book of uh, Galatians. And that remember that the, the Galatian letter was a little bit unique in that it wasn't written to a specific congregation, but it was written to a group of churches that lived in that, that existed in an area called Galatia. And so this, this letter was delivered from Paul to various congregations that existed there in that area. And there seemed to be one real problem that they were especially dealing with. And Paul addresses this uh, repeatedly and makes argument against it throughout the letter. And that is that there was these teachers that were coming in. And can we turn the, the back? Uh, there were some teachers that uh, he's got it. Uh, there were some teachers that um, were coming in. They were they were called Judaizing teachers, and they were trying to bring the Galatians back under the old law. Essentially, they were saying, "Okay, this Christ thing is fine. Do that, but also you should follow the old law." And Paul rebukes that repeatedly. But for just a moment, I want you to think about it. If if you were if you were a Jew, and you had had access to God for uh, thousands of years, really exclusive access to God for thousands of years. Uh, and suddenly, these Gentiles were being brought in. It's, an, it's kind of a natural thing to hold on to your turf. You would want to, you would want to, uh, you would say, hey, wait a minute. These people ought to have to follow the same rules as we've had to follow if they're going to have the same access to God. And so from the, from the Jews' standpoint, it probably made a lot of sense. You know, uh, one of the things that's happened in the last few years in New York City is there's been a rash of cab drivers that have killed themselves. And, and the reason for that is, is that for a, a lot of years in New York City, the, there was a, there's a deal that's called a medallion. And the medallion was that thing that goes on the top of the, of the cab. And so in order to get a, order to be legally transporting, uh, still having problems with this thing. Um, in order to legally be able to transport people in New York City, you had to have one of these medallions. And you think, well, okay, big deal. Everybody would go out and get one. Well, they were... Because they limited, thank you, Nancy. <laughs> Maybe I'll just hold it. Uh, technology, isn't it great? Um, so you would think, well, just go out and get one. Well, but they limited the number to like 13,537, something like that. And that had been the case since 1937. And so since, the, since it was limited... The price of those medallions went up, up, and up. Where it cost to buy one of those medallions cost a million dollars. A million dollars to have one of those medallions. So they were very expensive. And there were, there were people that patrolled New York City looking for people that were fake medallions all the time. And they obviously got arrested and thrown in jail and all kinds of things. Um, so my point is that if you think about what happened with Lyft and Uber and all of those ride services, suddenly what happened to the price of those medallions? Well, 
people no longer wanted those as much and the price began to just plummet. So if you had invested a million dollars in that medallion and with the idea that I'll be able to sell it down the road for maybe a million and a half or two million, now what's it worth? Well, it's worth, you know, 100000 or even less because people are doing it through Uber and, and other services. So you get the point of that the Jews felt like their economy, their religious economy was being disrupted by Jesus. And so it was only natural that they would try to bring the, uh, the Gentiles into that same system. And Paul's saying, no, not necessary. Remember, you're not saved by that. You're saved. In fact, your promise is through Abraham. And so we want to, this morning, we want to look at one specific thing, and that is, what about the law? What's the relationship of the law, the law of Moses, to the promise that was given Abraham so many years before? You know, in, in, in uh, Colossians chapter 3, there's a verse that tells us that uh, your life is hid with him. And, and my vision of that is uh, on the day of judgment, as God looks down at me and all of my unrighteousness and all of my uncleanness and all the things that I've done wrong and all the sins I've committed, he's not going to see those, but he's going to see Jesus and his righteousness. And I'm going to be hid from the wrath of God through Jesus Christ. And so Paul, in the, in the same context, is telling these people that that's the case with them at Galatia, that, that they're going to be hid, with, uh, hid from the wrath of God through Jesus Christ, and that's the only thing that's going to save them. Now, we don't have a problem today with trying, most of us, don't, as Kyle pointed out, we don't have a lot of problem going out and saying, hey, let's practice some Judaism. We'll, we'll trick them with that. We don't do that. But we are tempted sometimes to think that we are, we're justified by our own works, by the things that we have done. And so a couple of weeks ago, Michael in his lesson brought that out very clearly, that we are, we are saved 100% by the grace and righteousness of Jesus Christ and not of our own works. And so grace is 100% true. Um, I want to start out by telling you a story. This is a made-up story, but I think it illustrates our lesson pretty well. Um, so we start with a, a father and a son. And this father was well-to-do. He had a vast business empire. He had a lot of land. And he had one son. And he loved that son, as you can imagine. And he wanted that son to inherit all that he had. And so when the boy was about 12 years old, he actually wrote up a contract that said that when you get to the age of 30, I'm going to give you all of these things, and they're going to be all yours. And you're going to be able to run them as you please, but you'll have access to all this wealth and all these resources, and you're going to take over my empire because at that point I'm going to retire. Well, as happens a lot of times, as the boy hit his teenage years, he begins to rebel, and he begins to do things that's not pleasing the father. And so the father puts all of these, these rules in effect to try to discipline this child. And as you see often in life, it, he continues to rebel. And the truth is, is that the father very much loved the son, and he, he enforced those rules as fairly and with love 
as much as he possibly could. So when the child was rebellious, he was punished. When he was obedient, he was rewarded. You know, the child never could really bring himself around through his teenage years to following the father's law. So the question would be, he hits 30 years old. What now? Does the promise still stand? Well, if the father's righteous, the promise was made unconditionally. It was made out of unconditional love. And so the promise is still going to exist. And, and he's going to then bequeath his possessions to this son if he's a righteous father because he made that agreement back when the boy was 12 years old. And so I want, to, I want you to think about that as it relates to God's relationship with us. So Paul in this letter starts out in, in, or in verse 15. He says, brethren, I speak in the manner of men, though it's only a man's covenant, yet it is confirmed. If it's confirmed, no one annuls or adds to. I was talking to Kyle a couple of weeks ago, and I said, Kyle, you ought to be doing this lesson because it's about, you know, it uses the metaphor of contracts. But we all kind of understand contracts, that when you enter a contract into that, uh, in, or enter an agreement of a contract, you're bound by the terms of that contract. And if you don't live up to the terms of the contract, you can be sued for your breach of contract. And a lot of times contracts are written with the remedies in the contract so that if uh, I do this and that's not according to the contract, then your remedy is to do that. But you know, that's not necessary with our relationship with God, is it? You know, God who cannot lie, when, his wor when He speaks His Word, unlike us, when He speaks His Word, it's 100% reliable. You don't have to write in any clauses about breaches because we know that's not going to happen. And so that Paul, is, Paul is using the metaphor of a contract and saying that that was the case. And so we remember back in Galatians chapter 22 and verse 18, he had told Abraham years before the law ever existed that in thy seed all the nations of the earth would be blessed. In fact, this is actually a, a, uh, a second time of promising that because in, in Genesis chapter, I say Galatians, in Genesis chapter, yeah, Genesis, Genesis chapter 22, and in Genesis chapter 12, he made the same promise that in, in you all the families of the earth would be blessed. And so if you look at that passage, uh, in Genesis chapter 12, he makes him two promises. He says, number one, this again to God to Abraham, he says, I'll make you a great nation. And you can look at this genealogy and all the descendants from Abraham and all those that came down and through Sarah and Rebekah and all these people that ended up being millions, millions of Jews. And that was, that was the blessing of the great nation. But there was a second promise. In Genesis 13 or 12 and, and, and verse 3, he says, And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, old Naphtali over here, he's part of that first promise, but not part of the second one. You see, because in the second one, it all came through him, 
and through Jesus Christ. I'm not blessed because of Naphtali or Dan or Reuben or Simeon or Le any of those. I'm blessed today because of Jesus. And so Paul is making this argument that, that it's a matter of, of that relationship. And so in verse 16 he says, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds. So he's not talking about the nation. He's not talking about that part of the promise. But rather he's saying, and to seeds as of many, but one. And that one is Jesus Christ. And so he's saying that you're blessed through that promise to Abraham through Jesus Christ, not through the, all those others. And you can imagine that, again, to the Jews who may be reading this, would be offended because they felt like, hey, we are the chosen people of God. You know, Jesus made this same statement in, in uh, the Gospel of John chapter 10, and he was using the metaphor of himself being a shepherd. And, and he, he stops at one point and he makes this statement in verse number 10. He says, And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, which I must also bring, and they will hear my voice, and they will be one flock and one shepherd. He's talking about the Gentile world. He's talking about the gospel being available, not just to those that, when he was giving this lesson, when he was giving this message, he was about one mile outside of Jerusalem. He was talking to Jews. But he was saying that there are peoples that are not of this group, not of this flock, not Jews, that are going to hear this and they're going to be joined into this flock. And they're not going to do it through obedience to any law, any old law. In verse 17 it says, Now this I say, that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. So who was the promise given to? Abraham. And some 430 years later, then comes Moses along and the law. And then that law would stand until the seed should come. Who was the seed? Jesus Christ. And in him would all the nations of the earth be blessed. So what purpose does the law serve? So, that, so Paul is now supposing, okay, what's going to be the arguments against me if I'm saying, if I'm saying that it's not by the law, then somebody out there is going to think, okay, well, what was the purpose of the law? Why did God put us through all this stuff with the law if the law is not what can make us right? He says that it was added because of transgressions until the seed should come, whom... Uh, uh, to come to whom the promise was made and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator now a mediator does not mediate for one but God is one okay that's a little bit confusing but here's what I believe it means when God dealt with Israel he dealt with them through a mediator and that mediator was Moses and so M Moses was the liaison between God and and the people, you just think about the stories of the Old Testament and Exodus there, that, that Moses dealt with Israel and talked talk to God, and 
Moses dealt with God and he referred, he talked back to Israel. And so he was the mediator of that. But what about the covenant with Abraham? Was anybody else involved in that? Well, the answer is no. He didn't deal through a mediator when he gave the promise. And again, we know that God's word rings true 100%. So again, what was the purpose of the law? And I really like these next two verses uh, because I think they essentially say the same thing. It says, but the scripture has confined all under sin. So he's contrasting the law, the old law of Moses, to the promise, to, to Christ, to the New Testament, to the gospel. And he's saying, but the scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. In verse 23, a similar thought. But before faith came, so he's talking about before the cross, we were kept under guard by the law for the faith which would be, re- would be afterward revealed. You see, under the old law, we can never be made right. We can never be made right. We could not have a perfect relationship with God. We were shackled. just like, Think about the, the, the teenage boy could he ever completely keep the law? We know he broke the law. He, he broke it repeatedly. But once he broke it, he's a violator of the law. Whether he kept it from that point on perfectly or not, he was still a violator of his father's law. Could never be fixed. So through the old law, we were shackled. We were held in bondage, the bondage of sin. But under the new law, there is liberty. You know, James refers to, refers to it as the perfect law of liberty because it frees us from the shackles of those sins. Whereas the first law was based on man's faithfulness to God. How'd that work? Man's faithfulness to God. Not so well. The second law, the second covenant is based on God's faithfulness to man. Now, if you had to pick between relying on me or relying on Jesus to be perfect, where are you going to put your money? It's pretty obvious, isn't it? You know that I'm fallible. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to say things I shouldn't. I'm going to have thoughts I shouldn't. I'm going to do things I shouldn't. Jesus didn't do that. He lived, he lived a perfect life. And he did that, that we could be made free. And God made us right in, in his sight through that. In verse 24, Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. You probably remember from if you've looked at the old, if the old King James uses the word schoolmaster. And I did some, some study on that this week, and I noticed that that comes from the word pedagogue. And a pedagogue is a, well, we have a, a, a common word that we use today, uh, pedagogy. Pedagogy is, is, and I work in this world, 
It's delivery of instruction or delivery of curriculum. It's not the curriculum, but it's the delivery of that curriculum. And so in my business, we spend a lot of time talking about and looking at different practices that help us deliver the curriculum to students so that they learn best. That's a very similar to idea to this schoolmaster who was a servant. You see, it wasn't, it wasn't the school, but it was, this, it was this highly trusted servant that, whose job was to take the children to the feet of the master. That's what the old law does. It takes us to the feet of the master so that we can learn the gospel. That's the purpose of the old law. You know, you think about the old law. It was in place for about 1,500 years before Christ. 1,500 years. Imagine putting something in place. I'm just going to prepare you for the real thing that's going to come. And I'm going to put this in place. And I'm going to let this run for... 1500 years or so I mean we can't fathom in our own thought how that would but we know that that must have been important and it must have been successful because here we stand some 2,000 years after Christ and here we stand still proclaiming his name because it worked he put the old law in place for 1500 years to prepare people to hear the gospel and to believe it, believe it. And it's full of, of stories or full of, of types which help us understand how God works. And the old law is filled with all kinds of types and, and things that show Jesus. And so as we begin to delve into that, we understand that. You know, preparing somebody for, for what they're going to hear can be real important. Uh, this past week at work, uh, we rolled out a very serious program. It's called a Say Something, and, and the idea is that we're going to keep our students safe by giving them a way to anonymously report incidents. And they're, they can report these things, and then we get these results back, these reports back anonymously, and we can look at them and we can take action on them. Um, the presenter came in, and over at middle school, he talked to, to each grade level. So we have about 300 kids at each grade level. Now, if you're not in school business, putting 300 kids in a cafeteria and having somebody present to them for 45 minutes is a little dicey. But you know what he did? He started with a two-minute video that showed them, and it was just news clips, so it wasn't anything that a kid wouldn't see on the news but it was news clips of, of school shootings and, and reports of, of suicides and all those things like that. And it was kind of like a slap in the face, you know, and wake up. And, you know, he had those kids mesmerized for 45 minutes. So we did by grade level at our middle school, and then we went to the high school, and we had 600 in there, 600 high school kids in one room. He shows the video. He begins to talk. It's just like in here. Everybody's locked in. Everybody's 100% paying attention. Because the message was that important. So, see, my point is that it, he primed the pump. He got people ready to hear the message. And that's what God did with the old law. So, 
he ends the chapter by talking about uh, that we're all the, a child of God. Now, that's a term that we hear a lot and maybe sometimes think for, take for granted, but I want you to think about that. Is being a child... So, imagine that you show up at this really nice house and you've got no place to go. You're hungry, you're cold, your clothes are dirty and tattered, and you've got to have some relief, and you knock on that door. And the person on the other side of that door, not only do they let you in, but they treat you just like one of their own children. That's, that's what he's saying here, is that you're welcomed in, and not only are you welcomed in, we're going to treat you like a son, just like a son. He says that you have been, if you've been baptized, you've put on Christ. The same image that we started with, the idea in Colossians, th uh, Colossians 3, that we'll be hidden from him. Imagine that we want to put on Christ so that in that day of judgment, he doesn't see my filth. He sees the righteousness of Jesus. And so then he goes on to say again, and this is a repeat from before, he says that you're Abraham's seed. And if you're Abraham's seed, you're an heir you're, an heir means someone that's going to inherit something. Well, what are we going to inherit? Eternal life because we stand justified through grace, through faith in him. So that, if we're not justified of the law and we're not justified of our own works, this faith thing must be pretty important, must be kind of a big deal. So let's go back to Abraham. Let's, let's look at what they told him. God said, get out of your country. I'll make you a great nation. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. I want you to notice what, what Abraham did. He departed. He did what God told him to. You know, it says, there's a place in the scriptures that said that Abraham believed God and it was counted for him for righteousness. How do you know he believed him? Because of what he did. You see, it wasn't what he just, what he said. He didn't, he didn't just make a promise. Abraham did what God said. He acted upon that promise. And because he did, he was blessed. So this morning as Christians, if first of all, if you're not a Christian and you're, you haven't been baptized into Christ, you ought to really think about that. You ought, to, you ought to think about, do I want to be covered by the blood of the Lamb that will save me from a, from a judgment that I cannot stand up to? There's a judge, Kyle, Kyle deals with some judges that are probably pretty tough. But you know, there's a judge that one day will judge each of us that is tougher than any judge that Kyle will ever face. And that's the Father. And the only good news is we've got an advocate. We've got the greatest counselor ever, there ever was right there to our side that God will look at and see his righteousness and not our rags. If, if you are a Christian, examine yourself. Are you living in such a way that you're showing that faith? You know, your feet don't lie. Your feet don't lie. The... the, the where you spend your time, where you spend your money, where you put your efforts, tell us what's important. If I said to you, there's not, 
we're thankful. We understand there were some, some tornadoes in the south yesterday. But uh, if, if, there, if I told you there was a tornado that was about to come hit this building, and you believe me, you wouldn't keep sitting there. You'd do something that w- you'd take some cover. You'd do something to make yourself safer than you are right now. That's the same. There, there is a storm coming. There is a judgment coming. And the only way we can be ready is to have our life right through Jesus Christ. Uh, this morning, if the church can help you in any way, we're going to offer an invitation song. And we would invite you to come and sit on the front pew as we stand and sing together.